0: Good morning, Four Points, how are you? All right, it's good to be here with you this morning. As you can see, I'm not Pastor Russ, I have shoes on and it's wonderful, I like it. And uh, But I know that Pastor Russ is on, on vacation, but he sends his love, he's praying for you guys. He said he'd be watching, but I'm trying to forget that. Uh, so there's no pressure, am I right? Is it just me? Okay, thank you for that. I feel your love and support. Uh, As is my habit, uh, whenever I I begin to speak, whether I'm here or whether I'm at another church, uh, I always want to begin with prayer. How many of you know that we absolutely need the presence of God? We need the power of His Holy Spirit, the Spirit that leads us into all truth to be a part of what takes place here. And if I ever get up here and preach without that, then we limit ourselves to worldly and manly wisdom. And man's wisdom is not enough to get us anywhere when it comes to overcoming the struggles of this world and the struggles of sin, the brokenness, the, the difficulties, the hardships. Our wisdom's just not enough. But praise God, we serve and we love a king who wants to be a part of what goes on in our daily lives. And what's happening right here. And so I wanna invite you this morning to just join me in prayer. I'm gonna pray, but I'm asking that we pray together and that we, each and every one of us, invite God's Spirit to lead us into all truth as we dive into His scriptures today. Can we do that, church? Can we do that, church? Come on. All right. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we recognize you as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the God who created the heavens and the earth. Lord, you are eternal. You're beyond. You're omniscient. You know all things from beginning to end. You're the Alpha and Omega. God, you are everything. And without you, there is nothing. And everything that we see and experience, all that is in existence, is a result of who you are. And so, God, we just ask you to come into this time, take this thing called scripture and make it alive and holy spirit allow it to sharpen us as believers i pray that it brings forth greater healing in who we are and it god and it just causes us to move forward as we are formed into your presence as we are formed into your likeness in jesus wonderful name we all said Amen. We are continuing on with the fifth installment of a series called Church in the Wild. It is a series where we are diving back into the book of Acts. Last week, Pastor Russ did a wonderful job of taking us through the beginning of Acts chapter 9, discussing the the radical transformation of a guy named Saul who was persecuting the church to Paul, who not only becomes a Christian— but an apostle of the faith. In fact, he has been credited with writing over 13 or 14 books of the New Testament, which is over half of the New Testament. But today, we're going to be picking up the story in verse 32 of chapter 9 of Acts, where the author turns our attention away from Paul to Peter. And the story is simply, if we just zoom out, the story is this. There's two instances. Peter is visiting a church in a town called Lydda, and he finds a man named Aeneas and he, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And when he comes to Aeneas, he looks at him and he says, Listen, there's more for you. Jesus Christ heals you. And in that moment, God's power fills that place, and Aeneas is radically healed, and he stands up right then, right there. Miraculous, instantaneous healing. The second portion of this passage, and the final verses of chapter 9 is this. It, It talks about while Peter is healing Aeneas, in a town not too far away, there's a disciple named Tabitha. She's known for her good works. She's known for ministering to the poor and to the widows. And she gets sick and she dies. And they, they, they clean her up and they put her in the upper room. And they send two guys, having heard that Peter was nearby, they sent two guys to run over to the next town and to bring Peter. And when Peter comes into that place... He goes up into the upper room where Tabitha's body was laid, and there's all these people weeping and showing Peter all the good things that Tabitha had done, all the the clothing that she had made for them when they were cold. Peter kind of moves them out of the upper room, and he prays for her. And in that moment, again, we see an instance where God's Miraculous power fills the upper room, and Tabitha is raised from the dead. And just saying these two things, and looking at these two stories about Peter, what we see is, we see that all of Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43 is about Healing. It's about God bringing forth healing in the earth. And that is not an easy topic to address. It's hard to talk about healing today. And here's why it's hard, number one, because there are some people who just don't believe it takes place. That healing is not a thing that takes place. Today, And it's also difficult because there are some of us who believe that God still heals, and yet the hospitals are filled with people not healed. Our churches are filled with people who are not experiencing what we are reading about in Scripture. It's a difficult topic. And it brings to the surface a lot of questions. Before I dive into what Scripture might be telling us about healing, I want to take a moment to kind of address some of these questions. That first question being very simply, does God still heal today? Does God still heal? heal today. And I think as people who claim that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, as people who believe that this thing called the Bible, the Scriptures, are the, are, it's the perfect revelation of who God is and what He's doing in the earth, we must go to Scripture to start. So what does Scripture say? Number one, very, in the very beginning, in Exodus chapter 15, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself as a healing God. He says in that scripture, he says, For I am the Lord. And that word Lord is actually the word Jehovah, which is the transliteration of Yahweh. And according to Hebrew beliefs, according to Judaism, Yahweh was the God above every other God. There was no other God but God. He created the heavens and the earth. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's personal, and he's involved in all that's going on. And listen, that statement remains true today, that God is God above all other gods. And I know that since the enlightenment, we want to think that we've set aside all our idols and all our gods. But I think we've just taken the name gods and idols off of our gods and idols. Because we're putting our trust that should be in God in other things. We're putting our hope in that new Netflix show that we just want to binge. Or we're putting our hope in that new car that I just so want to buy or that new thing because we think by buying that, I've arrived. Maybe you've made a god of your position at work. Maybe you've made a god of the next promotion But today I'm here to tell you, church, that God is God. And there is no other God. And that God says this, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. In that time period in the Old Testament when the Israelites would write down these names they weren't writing down titles they weren't writing down monikers they weren't writing down just ways to say oh i don't know what to call him he's not david so i'll call him god no he's god revealed himself in a certain way and so the israelites wrote that down saying this is god's nature it's who he is it's his identity god is a healing god And our hope of healing is in him, and it's in him alone. If we move forward into the ministry of Jesus, Jesus, is, his whole ministry is marked by three things. And in Matthew chapter 23, oh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, it says, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues. So the first thing we can say about the ministry of Jesus is that he taught. He was a teacher and he taught. He proclaimed the good news. He was preaching. So teaching and preaching. And then the last is this. And he healed every disease and sickness among the people. The ministry of Jesus are marked by teaching, preaching, and healing. And as God in the flesh... It only makes sense that God Jesus would heal because it's a part of who he is. Then the ministries of the disciples is marked by the same healing. If you go to the next few chapters later in Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through uh, chapter 10 verse 1, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. Okay, this is kind of repeating already again what was already said. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever been there? You've been in that place where you felt helpless. You've felt persecuted. You felt isolated, alone, marginalized, forgotten, rejected, and without hope. But I, I love scripture because it tells us he looks on that and he doesn't say, where's your faith? You need more faith. That's not what he says. Scripture says he had compassion. Jesus has compassion on you this morning. I don't know if that's for someone, but I just believe it is right now. Just hear me. God has compassion on you. No sin shocks God off his throne. He's not surprised by your brokenness, and he's not surprised by my ugliness. I get angry with my kids. That's ugly. God's not surprised by that. But you know what he does have? compassion. He has compassion. And that compassion moves him to action. So he sees us that we're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest to him and gave them Oh. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. That is not correct. That is not correct. So I'm going to go ahead and finish it here off my notes. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Then, chapter 10, verse 1 says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. So he recognizes that we're like sheep without a shepherd. He recognizes us as being helpless and harassed, and he has compassion. So what does he do? He sends his disciples. And it says he gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to what? Come on, church, what does he send them out to do? To heal every disease and sickness. Healing marks the ministry of the disciples. Now let's just jump right into Acts. The ministry of the early church and the apostles was marked by healing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 42, It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That is the birth of the church. The church came into being, and then they describe it. Well, what was going on in this quote-unquote church? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43 Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. What wonders and signs? Well, the next chapter, the very next verse, tells the story of Peter and John healing the man on the temple steps. Healing. It marked the church. So, the question is Does God heal? In James chapter 5, the Apostle James tells us to pray for healing. And if God was not a God of healing, why would we pray for healing? It says right here, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person who was sick, well. Does God heal today? And the simple answer is yes. As God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's straight from Scripture. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All the days to come. He's the same. He's the same God who is Jehovah Rapha. He is God, our healer. And the thing is, just because the answer is simple does not mean it's uncomplicated. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. For too long, we've wanted to make life easy. And that's part of why it's so hard. Because that desire is confronted with the difficulties of life on a daily basis. This really leads me to the next question. The question that arises from this passage is, number two, if God still heals today, then why are there people left unhealed? Why, last year in August, when my father fell 30 feet, broke 22 of 24 ribs with multiple breaks and different ribs, why did he survive and recover? When, just a couple months ago, my grandmother, who was in Incredible health was alone, tripped, fell, hit her head, wasn't found till hours later with catastrophic brain injury and passed away. Why, if God's a healing God, why are people not being healed? That's the question, and it's not a question that I could answer on my own. So what I did is I reached out to a friend of mine, a pastor who lost his firstborn child. And I've mentioned this before, but as the story goes, he and his wife had no indication in the pregnancy that there was anything wrong with their son that was to be born. Then Then the baby was born, this baby boy, and he was born with a condition outrageously so far. I mean, the chances of this condition happening were few and far between, and people for three weeks, prayed. And over the course of those three weeks, they never got to touch their son. They never got to hold their son. They could only watch him through a glass barrier as their son fought for his life and eventually, after three weeks, passed away. During that time, all of us were praying. Didn't James just say that the prayers of a righteous man are effective? Didn't he just say that gather the elders, use some anointing oil, and if you pray, they would be made well? Didn't it just say that? And yet, he passed away. Why, God, why? And I'm certain, I'm certain there are people sitting in this room who either know someone who needs healing Or you yourselves are sitting in this room right now asking God for a miracle. And here's the answer. Why? The answer, I don't know. I don't know. Anyone, anyone who tells you that they have the answer, they're trying, to tell, they're trying to sell you something, okay? Because we have no idea why. But in times of uncertainty, seek what is clear. In times of uncertainty, seek what is clear. When there are no answers, there are anchor points to hold on to that will carry you through the storm. What are some of those? So I asked, I called in preparation for this sermon, I called my friend, And I asked him, how how did you do it? How did you survive this? And I want to share some of those with you. Are you still with me this morning? The first thing he said is he had to remember, God is not done working. God has not yet done all that he can and that he will do. God is still working even when we don't see Him working. When we don't think God is moving, I'm here to tell you this morning God is moving. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I have to look at my friend who lost his child and think to myself, it was work to move forward in his salvation and in his faith. There's no other word for it. But verse 13, Paul says, Yeah, you continue to work. Here's why. For it is God who works in you. God is working in you, church. Right now, in this very moment, God is working in you. We don't understand all that He does, we don't understand why some people get healed and some people don't. But here's what I am saying God is moving. And for my friend, that was a source of hope. It was an anchor point that carried him through the storm of doubt and rage and anger and disappointment and despair. He could, in those moments, in those moments of weeping, all he could say was, God, I don't understand, but you're working. Mothers who've experienced the loss of a child, God's still working. It hurts, I know, and I don't understand it either, but I'm with you. John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus is defending his ministry on the Sabbath. And he says, my father is always at his work. If you're experiencing doubt today, that's okay. But allow me to just speak this over your heart, over your mind in this moment. God is always at his work. The second thing that my friend mentioned was we have to expand our understanding of healing. healing is bigger, it's broader, and it's deeper than anything that we can think or imagine. What do I mean by that? Well, number one, guys, listen. Healing, it includes the physical, miraculous, instantaneous healing, but it's bigger in that it is, it, it is not just physical. God wants to bring forth healing in your heart that has been trampled by trauma. God wants to bring healing to your mind. Healing's more than just physical healing. In Luke, there's a story where Jesus is preaching and he's in his house and there's this paralytic being carried by his friends on a cot. But because there's so many people in the room, they can't get through to see Jesus. So how many of you know the story I'm talking about? Right? They they climb up on the roof, and they just start breaking a hole in not their roof, okay, in someone else's roof. I'm going to tell you right now, if I'm sitting at home in a community group, okay, in a small group, and someone starts breaking a hole in my ceiling, I'm telling you right now, I'm not thinking about healing, I'm thinking about causing situations that require healing, okay? But here these guys break a hole, and Jesus, he looks at that and he says, he's amazed by their faith, right? And this is amazing. You'd think Jesus says, man, I'm just so blown away by your faith. Man, you're healed. Stand up. That's not what he says. He looks at all their faith, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees who hear Jesus say that begin to get really riled up because, in their mind, only God can forgive. Well, that's a true statement. And that tells you something about Jesus. But because they don't recognize Jesus, they're angry. They're like, that's blasphemy. You can't say that. And this is what Jesus says He says, hey, okay, listen, what's easier? What do you think is easier? Is it easier just to say your sins are forgiven? Or to actually heal this person and have them walk up out of here? Now, I think we all know the answer. Right? Actions speak louder than words. So Jesus says, hey, look, just so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up. And the man jumps up. And everybody's filled with awe and wonder. The physical healing was peripheral to what Jesus was really bringing forth. And that was a healing of sin and brokenness and shame and condemnation which in that society limited you to the margins. People didn't want you to be around. They figured you're sick because you're sinful. And if you're sinful... You're not a part of the people of God. So not only was Jesus healing his heart, he was healing his social standing. You're not on the outside anymore, son. You're on the inside. God's healing is much bigger and broader than just physical healing, even though it does include that. And, and listen, it's not, and it's not instantaneous either. There's a story about Jesus and he's healing this guy who's blind and he spits in the guy's eye. That's crazy. I remember I grew up in the Assemblies of God church and I I just remember thinking, oh, I'm going to pray for healing for someone. And my friend said, why don't you spit in their eye? I was like, are you crazy? I am not going to do that. I'll get thrown up out of here. So I, I I kid you not, I just pray. Jesus spits in this guy's eye. He says, can you see? And I'm thinking to myself, no, you just spit in my eye. No, I can't see anything. But the guy must have been like, yeah, yeah, I see something. I see, and this is what he says, I see men walking around as if they were trees. You know what that tells me? That healing's not complete. It's only begun. And then Jesus says, Okay, come here, and he lays his hands on him, and he prays again, and the man experiences complete healing. What does that tell me about healing? Sometimes healing is, it takes time. It's a process, and we remain faithful to that process, no matter what it looks like. And I would just say this, too. We should be giving God thanks and praise when our bodies, quote, unquote, naturally heal. Because without God, we would cease to be. In him we live and move and have our being. That's what scripture says. And if we have being only in God, then our healing bodies only take place in God. That means... The righteous and the unrighteous. The saved and the unsaved. God is compassionate and bringing forth healing. It's bigger. Guys, it's bigger. There's a story, last one. There's a story about a guy. They call him the demoniac. Jesus and his disciples get in a boat. They cross the Sea of Galilee. And when they get there, there's a guy who's been so filled with demons, scholars some scholars are like, that just means he's filled with the spirit of demons. Other scholars are like, they didn't know what, to, what was going on. So they said, demons! Regardless, something's not right. And they, he's cutting himself. Does that sound familiar to anybody? He's cutting himself. So they chain him in the asylum of the cave on the outskirts of town. Jesus shows up, and the guy... This man breaks his chains and runs to Jesus. And all these demons say, don't cast us out into the abyss. Instead, send us into these pigs. And Jesus says, okay, get out. Now, the pigs rush off the cliff. They fall into the water. They all die. I could preach on that maybe another time. And the, 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 the pig herders run back into town. They see this, and they're like, this is craziness. They run back into town. They get all the leaders and the people, and they come back out, and this is what Scripture says. They find the man. I love this. It says they find the man in his right mind. What does that mean? Healing. God wants to heal your mind. Listen, we are operating. Come on. Listen, we've all got parents. (laughs) Those of you who are married, how often? How often? has the difficulties you've experienced with your spouse been rooted in something your parents did? But I'm telling you here this morning, God wants to bring healing to that so that you can experience life in your marriage. My mom is Korean. She's from Korea. Uh, We lived in Korea for three, four years when I was a kid. So the culture is not that far removed from me. And Asians, if, if you, these are broad terms, but one of their core values is disappointment. <laughs> it's like they just want, I mean, it's like their love language, right? And, and, and when they're disappointed, listen, in the South, this is, my wife is from here, and she's, she says, you know, Southern etiquette, like there's this whole thing, and if you're disappointed in someone, you kind of just tiptoe around it, right? You don't really want to talk about, no. Asians will let you know, okay? They're very honest. They're very honest about this. And so my mom would do this thing where two, two things. She would, number one, it's very vocal, right? It's guttural. I mean, it comes from their spirit, like deep down. So I would do something that disappointed her, and she'd go, ah, and that was it. I mean, and if you listen to Koreans talking and stuff, I mean, you hear it all like, ah, ah, right? I was like, okay, I did something wrong. I disappointed. I disappointed my mom. My, the other thing she would do is this. She would talk about it as if I weren't in the room. <laughs> oh, man, infuriating. You didn't clean the dishes, Dan? Go clean the dishes. Okay. And then I'm, I'm cleaning the dishes. I'm thinking to myself, I'm being a good son. I'm obedient. I'm cleaning the dishes. But all I can hear is my mom walking around cleaning around me going, I can't believe I told him yesterday to clean the dishes. And he just, I'm like, I'm right here. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. So, my wife and I <laughs> My wife and I are having a little spat. I know I know you guys don't have spats in your marriages. This is this is me. I'm speaking for me. Okay? But we're having a spat and I'm like, "Okay, listen, time out. I need a time out. I'm getting, you know, my Korean side starting to come up. You know, I'll be like, "I wanted to get guttural and, you know, I'm, bleh, I'm disappointed." Now, I'm like, I need a timeout. And that's healthy, right? I think we all hear that in different marriage talks. Hey, take a break if you need a break, and then come back when you've calmed down. So I had to take a break. And I heard this. I heard this. She's walking away, and she's like, man, I can't believe it. And she didn't even get three words out of her mouth. And that pushed me over the edge. And I'm like, I mean, no more calm, Pastor Dan. It's like unsaved Korean you know, Dan, who wants to, like, karate chop people in the throat. So I'm, like, yelling. I'm, like, what did you say? (laughs) And my wife says, what are you talking about? I was just going to say, I can't believe Ransom hadn't done his homework or it was something totally separate, but because it touched on something in me that was unhealed. It triggered me. When you get road rage because someone... Sort of, kind of, cut you off. Or better yet, this is something I've never experienced before. I moved here, and everybody's so polite that there are traffic jams at four-way stops. Because they just arguing about who's going to go first. You go first. No, no, you go first. I, listen, where I'm from, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. Okay, so I'm sitting here, like, roll down the window, just go! I mean, dude, first come, first serve. It's the law. Then you move to the right. Triggers. And God wants to bring healing to that too. You guys hear me this morning. And the last thing that helped my friend in this time, an anchor point, was the belief that God is moving us toward a time when all things will be fully and completely healed. The healing of this frail body now cannot compare to the body that we will experience when Christ has returned and has established his kingdom in the earth. And so whether or not I see healing now, I know God is moving me toward that day when he will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more mourning. There will be no more sadness because all things have been brought to a fullness Healing. So, in the last few minutes I have with you this morning, what does Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43, tell us about healing? That's really the question. We talked about healing, and it is a tough subject. But what does Scripture say in this passage? Well, verses 33 through 34 says this He says, There he, speaking of Peter, found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, I love this, Jesus Christ heals you. Not I heal you. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. This is an echo of Of a healing that Jesus did in his own ministry. At the pool of Bethesda, he sees a guy sitting by this pool that people reputedly were being healed by, but he could never get in the water in time. Other people just jumped the line. Jesus sees him and says, Hey, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy picks up his mat and walks immediately. What does that mean? what we see here is Peter not building his own ministry, not gifted in such a way that's like, oh, we could never experience that. What we see is Peter repeating the ministry of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning that Acts, we want to think the stories about Peter, and we want to think about, about it as if Peter was the hero, but I'm here to tell you that The hero of the book of Acts is not Peter, it's not Paul, it's God. God is the healer. That's why he says, Jesus Christ heals you. Not I heal you, Jesus Christ heals you. All Peter is doing is he's repeating Jesus' ministry in the earth. Theologian Scott McKnight writes his commentary on the book of Acts and on this passage in particular saying this, the ministry of an apostle is nothing other than the ministry of Jesus. What he, Peter, does, replicates and extends the ministry of Jesus. Peter repeats him. So much so that he says, Jesus Christ heals you. What does that mean? If the story, if the hero of the story is God, then what is the story about? It's about God repeating his ministry in and through the church for the lost, least, and lonely. That's what it's about. It's not necessarily about Peter, it's about the church. So what am I saying this morning? I'm submitting to you that when we read this story, it moves us from the question, does God heal today? To the question, are we ministering like Jesus? Are we ministering like Jesus? We are called by God. Church, we are called by God to participate in God's mission in the world, to redeem it through Jesus Christ, the world's true Savior, Lord, and King. Each of us participates in that mission according to the gifts given to us by God. And God's ministry is one of healing. The second thing we learn from this passage comes from the next few verses. It says, Lida was near the town of Joppa. And it says, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. And I love this, verse 39. Uh, verse 39 and Peter went with them. So there are two things we learn here. One, Lida was 10 miles from Joppa. And Peter didn't just jump in his car to get there. He had to walk. He walked 10 miles. At best, that's inconvenient. In reality, that's just hard. And it takes at least four hours to walk that distance. But Peter didn't bat an eye. He didn't give a moment's, a second's hesitation. They said, we need you. And what did he do? He responded the ministry of the church and the ministry of Jesus through the church is to respond. I'm asking you, ask yourself this question. When you're driving and you see that homeless person, do you respond? Or do you just try to make sure you don't make eye contact? When you drive by the church, uh, when you, excuse me, when you drive by the hospital, ask yourself this question. When's the last time you walked in those doors? Not for your own sake, but for the people who are already there. This is the nature of God's ministry through us in this world. The second thing we learn is this, Peter went with them, it's presence. Ministry of the church, God's ministry through the church by the power of his Holy Spirit demands that we be present with people who are least, lost, lonely, broken, needing healing, isolated, rejected, On the outskirts, marginalized, it's presence. The Lord's people are present with those who need healing. Then, the last two that I want to give to you is this. The Lord's people pray and put their trust in God on behalf of the marginalized and suffering, no matter what the circumstances look like. They pray. In both instances, Peter prayed. And he wasn't and he wasn't discouraged by the fact that this guy was 8 years, that's a long time. But he did it anyways, and healing took place. The man, Tabitha was dead. It looks like a lost cause, but he responded. He was present and he prayed. And we may not get the answer to the prayer that we're hoping for, but we're a praying people. And the final is this. Peter stayed in Joppa, the very final verse of this passage. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Here's what you don't know. It seems pretty innocuous, but here's what you don't know about this. Tanners were despised because of their trade. And there are a number of different reasons for this. One, because the odor was so bad because you got dead animals. The odor was so bad that tanneries were forced to only be on the very outskirts of the city. Strict observances of Pharisaic opinions and law, they would avoid tanners and tanneries because in touching dead animals, they were considered unclean and impure. Get this, second century rabbis reported that tanners were forbidden in cities, especially Jerusalem for that very reason. They were forbidden to even be in Jerusalem. So if you wanted a new leather jerkin or whatever, you're going to go to another city, to the outskirts of town. You're not getting it here because we're clean and pure. We're perfect. And some of us hear the church in that description. And then finally, I love this one. Rabbis even insisted that a tanner must allow his wife a divorce if she could not endure the smell. And some wives, I see some wives just nodding. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> wives, don't look at your husbands, please. Listen, the point being is this. The ministry of God through his people, are not cons- we're not concerned with fame. We're not concerned with status. We're not concerned with getting the credit. We're not, we're not concerned with popularity. We choose to be with the lowly and the humble. This is who we are. This is who God is calling us to be. In closing, God is continuing the story of Acts today. The book of Acts doesn't end in chapter 28, it's being written in our lives in this very moment. Not as an organization, not as a nonprofit not as a system, but as a community of people. A community of people that are devoted to God, that are devoted one unto one another, and a people that are devoted to the marginalized and suffering, to the least, the lost, and the lonely. Amen? From this text in Acts, we do this by, I'm going to say it in four words. One, response. Two, presence. Three, prayer for humility. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and honor and glory this morning. We just ask that you would change us, mold us, and make us into the people of God that you've created us to be. You are healing the wounds of the church. You're healing the wounds of your people. And you're healing the wounds of this world. You're a healing God and make us into a people who are participating in your ministry of healing in the earth today. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.